Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's great to be back in the United States. I was just spending uh, about 10 days in Santorini, Greece, an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And in that island, there was a no-drone rule. They were not allowed to have any drones going on at all over there, and that was absolutely terrible. I wasn't really planning to use a drone, but I just don't like drones being frozen out. And over over the course of that uh, 10 days, I grew to hate selfies. Did you? Because any beautiful scene you want to go look at, mm-hmm. there are 22 people blocking the way trying to take the perfect selfie. And it just goes on and on and on and on. I had that problem yesterday. I was trying to pick, take a picture of the Columbus statue in, in Baltimore, and people are, you know, hanging around, looking for the right shot and shooting videos. It's like, it on. just goes on and on, on and on. And, and I did the, the, the scenery in Santorino is beautiful. So uh, a lot of young women were dressed in very beautiful dresses going there to take portraits. And, of course, it has to be the perfect lighting, the perfect wind, and perfect everything. So they just might hang around in that area, you know, for half an hour until they get it just right. So it, I, I got to be a little annoyed with all of the uh, <laughs> I'll bet. all of the uh, the selfies. But it is quite uh, quite beautiful there. And they have, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, Internet. They've got Internet over the whole island, not, yeah. not really a problem. They've got <clears throat> good cell phone co- connectivity. All the hotels have Internet access, so the you know so, my, so the technology there was quite good. Also coming up on today's show, we will have answers to questions: Should you buy the iWatch Four, and what is doxing? We have details of a streaming bundle deal for students, and a first-world problem: people with unusual names who have trouble getting social media accounts. And in profiles in IT, we'll talk about the Norwegian physicist and meteorologist Wilhelm Bjorkness, the father of modern weather forecasting. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Well, look who showed up for work today. He certainly did. We got an email from Al in Waldorf. Hello, Doc and Jim. Long-time listener in Waldorf, Maryland. I've heard your concerns about public Wi-Fi without using a VPN. As a former Intel person, I always think security and avoid putting anything personal on the air. Even at home, all my computer stuff is hardwired. My question is about the security of computers in business centers at hotels. I travel a few times a year, don't have a smartphone, like to check my email to avoid returning home to hundreds of old emails when I get back. But I worry about the security or that or lack of security at these hotel computers. They're not connected to Wi-Fi, but I have no idea what kind of software is present. Is there any way to detect whether there's a malware or key or key logger installed on it? Uh, thanks again for an interesting show, Alan Waldorf. Well, Al, business center computers are risky. You really can't tell if malware or key logger has been installed. Now, some hotels have created a, a, a pretty good secure system that what they do when you reboot the computer, it actually reads a new image of the operating system off the hard drive. So anything that the previous user did is gone. And <clears throat> that's probably the best system, and some of the big chains have started doing that. Uh, however, you never know whether that was the case. Now, if you go to a chain and you know that they're doing it, then, then what I would do is reboot the computer. When it comes back up, you're okay. But a lot of these smaller hotels, they don't really know what they're doing, and of course, the um, the employees there don't know anything about the security. I mean, for instance, we had a Stratford employee a few years ago logged into a business center uh, in New York just to check the Stratford email account. The next day, her email account had been hacked, and a whole bunch of emails had been sent in her name. It, and it took less than 12 hours for that to happen. 
And the and so that was a case. There was a keylogger apparently on that computer, and all of our login information was sent there immediately. The Secret Service, in collaboration with the National Cybersecurity Communications Integration Center, has notified the hospitality industry of this threat to business center computers, and they're asking them to do something about it. Unfortunately, that's almost impossible to detect whether a computer is secure or infected with malware. Now, if you're on the road and you need to print something from your email account, what you can do, you can create a free throwaway email account, like like create a new, you know, there are a lot of free email accounts you can use. Create a free email account that you're just going to throw away. Forward your email to that account. Then print the document, and then when you're done, just delete the account. And that way, you're not actually logging in with your real email account. Also, the other thing that I always do when I'm traveling, when I I just do in general, all of my email accounts, all my critical accounts have two-factor authentication, which means that even if somebody does get my password, there's a code sent to my cell phone, and then it's normally a six-digit number, and you've got to enter that six-digit number in in order to access it. So two-factor authentication does does uh, help protect you uh, from that. So if you if you're forced to use your email account and you're not really certain about the keylogger, make certain you've got two-factor authentication set on set up. So even if they uh, they do have your password, they can't get in because they won't have the second factor. That person that got hacked a few years ago, they did not have two-factor authentication set up. So once the password was gone, the folks were in. Hello, Dr. Shirts and Jim. Help! (laughs) Help! Now that it's so easy to take digital photos, I find myself overwhelmed with photos. In fear of losing the precious moment, I have backups to my backups. I got Amazon, Microsoft, Google, external hard drives. I use a backup program called iDrive. They all seem to be collecting photos at a feverishly rate. Duplicates of photos are everywhere. Several of these are seeming done automatically. Do you know any program that will collect all of my photos, put them in some sort of order, and delete the duplicates? I'd like to have an easy way to use and have a reliable backup for all of my photos. (coughs) Well, what you need to do, uh, Dave is you need to get a some photo organizing software that will locate duplicates. It will sort through the photos using different criteria, date, location, face recognition, etc. And now you also have to make a point to consolidate all your photos in one location. That'd be the your you could call it your digital hub. Because if you if you don't have a digital hub from which all the backups are made, you don't know where you're standing. And so I would have one location with a digital hub and have one cloud backup. You pick the cloud backup that you like, and then you back up your digital hub with that. Now, your digital hub could, could of course, be on your computer. Your digital hub could be an external hard drive. Uh, the reason I recommend having a cloud backup for at least one of them is that, you know, you could have an external hard drive as a backup and your, and your computer as one copy. Then you have two copies at home. But suppose your house floods or your house burns down, then you lose all your photos. But if you have it backed up at a different location, that's basically good disaster recovery best practices. So you want it backed up at a different location. So the cloud backup gives you a different location. That's really very good. Now you need some way to organize your photos. Now, I personally loved using Picasa to do that. That was a, that was a great program. I'd, I'd used that for years to organize my photos. And then, and then Google bought them. And then it was Google Picasa. And then eventually Google discontinued Picasa and transferred everybody into Google's photo, which is a pretty good service. Now, Google Photo, and this might be one of your options, it's free. It includes free cloud storage as long as you limit each picture to 16 megabytes. If your pictures are bigger than that, and some of the high-resolution cell phones now have bigger pictures than that, some of the digital SLRs are bigger photos than that. If you have bigger photos than that, you can have paid storage and, you know, something for like, you know, $5.99 a month. You'll have plenty of storage and you can just pay Google and everything is then organized within within using Google Photo and they've got face recognition. If you want to remove duplicates, so what you're going to want, if you want to, you, they've got something called Duplicate Sweeper, which will find and remove duplicate pictures stored on your Google Photo storage. So you want to pull all of those different Sub storage subdirectories in one digital hub, and then you want to use your duplicate sweeper to sweep through them. You can download, and then you're also going to want to download and install Google Drive Backup and Sync so that as you 
add photos to your digital hub. They're automatically backed up to the cloud. Now, I checked many photo professionals. These are people that have got, you know, they've got thousands of photos to manage. Photo professionals. Photo professionals, <laughs> yes. And that would be also called professional photographers. <laughs> <laughs> Depending, <laughs> depending on whether you get on the right side of the bed or the left side of the bed that day. There you go. <laughs> that uh, actually, they prefer professional I like photographer, photo professional. Yeah. That's very good. <laughs> That's right. So I looked at a number of these photo professionals, and they actually preferred a program that 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 you pay for. They say ACDC, capital A, capital C, capital D, capital S E E, A C D S E E. It's it's been around for a long time and it got great reviews from the pros. ACDC Photo Studio has a number of editions. I've got the standard edition, which is almost exclusively a photo manager. It's available for all versions of Windows for $89. And they have kind of a semi-permanent sale on now for $39. There's an unrestricted 30-day free free trial that where you can try it out, but you've got to set up an account to use it. They also have ACDC, ACD, SEE, Photo Studio Professional Edition for $99. And that's got some super professional photo editing built into it, as well as a photo organization. So I tell you, a lot of the, of the pros were using that professional edition, which isn't too bad. That got great reviews. It also has automatic photo editing features at professional edition. Like if every time you take a photo, you always do a certain enhancement sequence to all your photos. It does it automatically for you. You can build it in to be automatically enhanced, which is really nice. There's also a Mac version of ACDC, which is available. It doesn't work exactly the same, but it looks like it's pretty much equivalent. If you want to use ACDC, S-E-E, uh, for duplicates, you have to use the Duplicate Finder plugin, and you can search for duplicate files on your hard drive. And once you locate the duplicates, you can rename or, or you can delete them. So those are those are two different options. They all of them have various. They'll use metadata to sort of sort them and put them in folders because you want to organize your your photos by folders. So like if I'll go on a trip, say Santorini, I'll put all of my. I took 484 pictures on that on that particular trip. So I've created a subdirectory called Santorini. I put all those pictures in the subdirectory, which makes it easy. But there's a nice thing you can actually because both of these. Both of these programs have face recognition, so you could look at um, you, you 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 could actually sort pictures. You could actually search for pictures by who's in them. You could you could search for pictures by uh, by by GPS locations, by time, by city. So there are a lot of ways that you can search for these things, and so it's a very good way to organize your photos. And you are right. You reach a point in life where you need a photo organizer or you just can't survive. <laughs> we got an email from Gene. Greetings, gentlemen. Well, Thank we got them fooled. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for all the interesting information you dispense with your own brand of humor. With that, our, with uh, our that, own that brand of humor. A backhanded compliment. That's right. As <laughs> <laughs> opposed of to. Unfunny humor. That's right. With our own. <laughs> Uh, I have many VHH, VHS tapes that I've made through uh, that I've made throughout the years, and I want to save them using my PC, my Windows PC. I've done this in the past by transferring the DVD, but I'd like to move forward and maybe you know be more forward-looking and transfer them to something more advanced, like a USB drive. I did look up the process online, but I'd like to do this with the best possible results and don't know the best way. Would appreciate some clarification. Some of the tapes are great; have great sentimental value. Thanks, Gene. Well, Gene, it makes sense to convert all your analog VHS, VHS tapes to digital format because you know analog tapes over time they will age; they could rip. So you convert them to digital, then you've got a something of a permanent record. You got a choice; you, you you've got different formats you can store them. You got MPEG, MPG format; you got .mov format, or you got MP4 format. Any of those will work. You just pick one format, and that's a that's basically a digital movie format. Uh, I, I like MP4 because it's more of a generic standard. .mov is more like um, uh, an Apple standard. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you, you basically want to store your files at two locations that are separated. As I was saying, you know, in case your house burns down, you don't want to lose them, you know. <laughs> 
I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a bearer of bad news. But if, but if you got two backups in your if, house, and if you a meteorite your, lands on your house, that's right, and your and, and your house is gone, so you want to have one backup at another location. So I would suggest that you that that you that you have one uh, one local uh, storage, one on a hard drive, and then you've got uh, one in the cloud. Now what I do is is I've got my uh, my pictures on my laptop, but eventually I have so many pictures that I've ended up. I've ended up porting them to an external hard drive, a USB external hard drive that I've had have at home, and I've got my cloud storage set up so it backs. So when my external hard drive's plugged into my laptop, it backs up the external hard drive. So I'm actually using as my digital hub my external hard drive, which is then backed up to the cloud, and that that has worked up pretty worked out pretty well. I also have my pictures, of course, on my laptop. So I'll initially copy them onto the laptop. And those, and then when I want to archive them and keep them long term, I move them to the external hard drive. And of course, my my laptop is is also backed up to the cloud. So I've I've got everything backed up now. When you want to take now, do not use a USB drive for permanent storage. Period. USB drives are easily corrupted. Now a USB is used for like moving files. So like if you want to share your files with share your movies with someone. You could just copy them to a USB drive, and, and it's very convenient to share. But, but if you you can easily easily corrupt the USB drive, so that's not really permanent storage; it's temporary storage, and it's just used for portability. Now, the nice thing about cloud storage is that if there if all your movies are on the cloud, you can just share a link with your friends, and they can and they can go and look at them right on the cloud, and you don't, you don't have to worry about the USB drive. Now. If you want to if you want to start digitizing your VHS uh, tapes, the first thing you need is a VHS player, which many times many people don't have one anymore. It's hard to find. That's right. You, you can go to a local consignment store. You can actually go to eBay and you, you can get a used one on eBay for about thirty bucks. Didn't we talk about? Wasn't the, the last commercially available VHS player? Did we talk about some years yeah, ago? We, they stopped. They, 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 they stopped making them. They right? stopped making them. So you, you got to get a used one. And so you can go to eBay, get a used one for about thirty bucks. Then you need an analog to digital converter. And uh, and I like this Diamond VC five hundred USB two point oh one touch. Uh, it's available. Uh, that's Diamond VC five hundred USB two point oh one touch. It's do you available have for, a v, Do you have a VHS at home? You, uh, or or have you given up on? That? I've just given up on. Okay, it. I've just given up on. Uh, you it. see, that could be a side business for you. You could be digitally converting. It, no, you've got it, enough else. To I do. got enough going on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I I do I do actually I do have a VHS in. <laughs> In store, I've got a bunch of all my old you electronics have, I, stored in a bin. Why am I not surprised you have stuff actually, laying around? I actually never, never, never throw old electronics <laughs> away because everything looks beautiful to me. I just can't throw it away. I just can't throw it, it away. It may come back one day. It, it could. Probably not. So you can get this Diamond VC 500 USB 2.0 for around $33. And the nice thing is that that gives you the the, the software to 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 form to to save your video to save your you know convert your VHS to any one of the video formats. Uh, you can it also gives you software to, to to burn it to a DVD if you want. I mean, I kind of agree with you. DVDs are probably not the way to go because you know they're, they're we're getting rid of DVD players now. So it's much. I think cla- cloud is the new DVD. And an external hard drive, I mean, you can get a one terabyte external hard drive for like, you know, 50 bucks or something. So I, th- I think that's, that's really the way to go. Now, if you want, you can use, uh, you can use um, editing software like iMovie for the Mac or Movie Maker for Windows. And you can bu- combine these movies in, into, like, into like one big movie. Be, which might be kind of nice. Combine them all together so you don't have all these different files. Right. But yeah. That's really a good project, and I um, I wish you the best of luck. Yes. We got an email from Carletta in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Dear Tech Talk, I just got a new laptop and discovered it does not have a DVD player. Yeah. Right. I love to watch movies. I and I was watching DVD movies on my old laptop. I got many pictures stored on DVD. Uh, what are my options, Carletta and Pittsburgh? Well, Carletta, you can actually have an inexpensive USB portable DVD player writer. That's what I have. My laptop does not have a DVD player in it or writer. It doesn't have that because it's just heavy. I hold my laptop all over the place, and I don't particularly want to carry that all around. Was, so, 
That's something that you looked for in a new laptop was something that did not have a DVD player. I wanted. I was looking for something that was light. How much? And how much thin. weight does it save? I I don't know, but it, it saves in thickness. Oh right, okay. It saves right. in thickness. I mean, it, it. I mean, it probably saves you know five ounces. I mean, they're they're not so really. It's they're, not something that's noticeable. Yeah, but every ounce counts when you're hauling when you're <laughs> yes, hauling a laptop true. around. And yeah. it turns so I'm looking for the ultra light laptop because I like to travel with it. And the ultra light laptops they've just they've just dumped they've just dumped the DVD. I mean, and and I, and over time I think there will have less and less uses for DVDs or CDs. But so but then what you can do you can get a but I bought a portable. Uh, DVD player writer. Not not the one I got. I like is a Samsung USB 2.0 ultra portable DVD writer. I mean, it's available now on Amazon for forty nine dollars. So you know, it's powered right off the USB. So if I want to you, you know use a DVD or a CD, I just plug that in one of my USB ports, and boom, I can read it. So I've used that, and so if I ever have to install anything onto my laptop at home, or I want to watch a movie, I'll. Uh, not that I, I don't really watch any movies, but if I ever wanted to watch a movie on my laptop, I, I would be available. So that has served all of my purposes quite nicely, and um, I think that's all you need to do. We got an email from Valerie in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm planning a trip with a long, with some long rides on airplanes. Now the entertainment, and you know, I'm going with some budget budget carriers and the entertainment options on these budget carriers are a little sketchy. Now I watch both Netflix and Amazon prime movies at home. I'd like to take some of those movies with me. Is there, is there a way that I can watch some of my Netflix and Amazon while I'm on the airplane and not have to use the entertainment systems there because I don't know what I'm going to get. Love the show, Valerie. Well, Valerie taking your entertainment is becoming a must as many carriers scale back their offerings. The beauty of this is that Netflix and Amazon have made it possible for you to watch all your TV shows or movies offline. And also, HBO and Showtime permit downloads. So you can download movies from Netflix, Amazon, HBO, or Showtime. Now, the size of the movie depends uh, on how, how it's compressed. It also depends on, you know, what resolution of movie. For instance, a 90-minute movie is about 1 to 1.5 gigabytes for SD, 3 to 4 gigabytes for 720p HD, and then if you want 1080p HD, it's a little bit more. So, um, so you, you know, so you can plan, you know, a few gigabytes for each movie. So you got to have to have enough memory. Now, Netflix made it possible to download content offline on in November of 2016. Now, not all the movies are available. So you can actually go to Netflix and you can click on show me the download movies and only the movies that are downloadable will show. Or you can scan all the movies you want. And if it's downloadable, you'll see a little download symbol. Uh, you can download to either Apple devices or Android devices running the latest operating systems. Netflix uh, at Amazon Prime also has off offline viewing. They've offered it since 2015. So Amazon actually offered it uh, before Netflix did, and so you just you just go to the movie that you want. You'll see a download icon, and then you'll just you download the movie. And so now it's uh, uh, there's there's a maximum number of of downloads that you can that you can download on Amazon Prime. I, they don't say what it is. It might be about five. So after you've watched the movie, just you know delete it. Now I su- I suspect there's a maximum number of movies you can download on Netflix, but I didn't see that information. But that's a very good option, and just you just get an iPad, make certain you got a charger there, and you can watch your own entertainment while you're flying the airplane. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Just a note to let you know that I still listen to Tech Talk every week religiously, and that even includes the times when I'm in Canada, since I'm a Canadian citizen down here with you Yanks. Well, it's a good thing we have that Canadian line you can call in for the pop quiz. Uh, exactly. That's really and that We have a lot of Canadian uh, Canadian callers. And it's also good that now we have a good trade agreement with Canada, so there, there are no issues anymore. What, what is the new name? Is the U.S.? I don't know. U.S.? It's worse than NAFTA. <laughs> I, I just call it the new NAFTA. <laughs> the I, new I, I, I just can't remember what I the acronym is. I don't think President Trump would appreciate that. That's right. And he, he says, uh, Bob says, I love the show and recommend it to all my friends. Well, 
Bob, thanks for the... For the feedback, we it's a joy to have listeners like you. Or listeners at all. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. We got an email from, uh, let's see here, from Raymond in Virginia Beach. Dear Tech Talk, can vendors track when I open their emails? You know, I get these emails from different stores and all. I don't like to be tracked and want to avoid it. Can they track me? And if so, how can I stop it? Love the show, Raymond in Virginia Beach. Well, Raymond, practically every email you receive from a vendor is going to try to track you. I can tell you that right now. And, um, and this is how they do that. You know, the emails, they, they actually have HTML code built into them like a web page. They also have images built into them. And there's <clears throat> these emails then, whenever you load an image, they know you've loaded that image. So every email where they want to track with you open it, there's a tiny image file that's only a single pixel in size. You don't even can see it. It's just one by one pixel. It's a very small image, and it's just the color of the background. You can't even see it. So when you, when you open the email, that little pixel image is loaded, and it has a particular name on it. And so they can tell that you, it has an identifier on it, and they can tell that you opened up that email. Now, if you want it set up so that they're not going to track you, you can set your email client not client not to load images automatically. And she'll just see like an image placeholder there, but the images won't be loaded. And then unless you click on it, the image won't download. So if you do that, they can't tell whether you've opened up the email or not. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. And we will get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. On the web at stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. I think he's on drugs yes, today. Yes, I think so. He's a little bit slow, but he we're going we're gonna to have to check on him. Today mm-hmm. we're going to feature Wilhelm. Freeman, Corin Berhutness. Okay. Well done. Thank you, thank you. You practiced that all night, didn't you? I did. I've been working that all night. Wilhelm Berhutness is a Norwegian physicist, of course, and meteorologist who founded the modern practice of weather forecasting. Wilhelm Berhutness was born March 14, 1862, in Christiania, Norway. Wilhelm enjoyed early exposure to fluid dynamics. I mean, this is like, you know, he grew up with fluid dynamics because his father, Carl Behrkness, discovered by mathematical analysis that actions between pulsating, oscillating bodies in a fluid, and he was able to put bodies in a fluid, oscillate them, and they would be linked through fluid dynamics to each other. And he actually analyzed that mathematically. And so Behrkness saw his father's work on fluid dynamics, and he became very interested in fluid dynamics. 
Uh, after he and, and he working as an assistant to his father in his research. Now, when he went off to school, uh, Berkness became assistant to Henrik Hertz in Bonn. Now, you know, Hertz, you know, we have like, you know, Hertz was a big electromagnetic guy, like frequency. Megahertz? Megahertz, yeah. Megahertz. Kilohertz are all named after Hertz uh, because he worked on electromagnetic waves. And so Hertz worked on electromagnetic resonances, and he was talking about different frequencies. And uh, Berkness proved experimentally the influence that conductivity and magnetic properties of metallic conductors exert upon electric oscillations. And he measured the depth to which these oscillations would penetrate metal. And, and he discovered the skin effect, as they call it, because they only go so far and then they're damped out. And so he actually measured the penetration into the metal and measured the skin effect. In 1895, he furnished a complete theory of electric resonance. And these methods contributed much to the development of wireless Telegraphy, and furthermore, Marconi used these ideas because if you if you shake something back and forth, it will resonate, and it will then transmit. And so this was the basis of you know wireless telephones, radio, and all of that sort of thing. In 1895, he became professor of applied mathematics and mathematics physics at the University of Stockholm, and he worked on uh, highlighting the fundamental interaction between fluid dynamics and thermodynamics, with his major contributions being equations which were used in climate models. Because you see the climate models, thermodynamics relating to the temperature, the flow of heat, you know, you have thermal layers, and fluid dynamics because air is like a fluid and you and they're all linked together. So he actually began developing equations could be used for climate models by combining fluid dynamics and thermodynamics. Now, his work inspired others to apply it to large-scale motions in the ocean and in the atmosphere and to make modern weather forecasting feasible. Now, see, back then, they didn't, they didn't have computers. This was in the, in the 1800s. They didn't really have computers. The Herknes himself had foreseen the possible applications as early as 1904, now, his work was supported by the Carnegie Institution, and he became actually a research associate at the Carnegie Institution. And while he was there, they published a couple of books, Statics and Kinematics, Dynamic Meteorology, and Hydrography. And so these were published in 1913, and they formed the basis of modern weather prediction. So these were the actual physics, the modeling that was needed. But we didn't have the uh, the processing power to, to actually make it happen. In 1907, Berkness returned to the to Oslo to the Royal Frederick University, became a professor of geophysics. In 1917, he founded the Geophysical Institute at the University of Bergen, where he wrote a book on the dynamics of the circular vortex with applications to atmosphere and atmospheric vortexes and wave motion, and laid the foundation for the Bergen School of Meteorology. Now, see, vortexes are what you get. That's what you know. That's what hurricanes are. They're they're like uh, vortexes. He was the originator. He was originator of improved and more sci- of improved and more uh, uh, scientific weather service. After uh, you know, and and he worked with his son on this, Jacob. And on, from 1926 until his retirement in 1932, he held a position at the University of Oslo. Uh, where he just continued to work on weather modeling. He was elected a member of the Royal Academy of Sciences in 1905. He died in 1951 of congestive heart failure. They actually named a couple of craters uh, on him. There's the Berkness Crater on the Moon and the Berkness Crater on Mars that were named in his honor. So he's the man who laid out the fundamental equations that are used for climate predictions. Mm -hmm. And... The modern theories are based on his work. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. On the web at Stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Thanks for tuning in this Saturday morning to Tech Talk Radio. It is time now to play the pop quiz. In Profiles in IT, we just finished talking about Wilhelm Björkness, the Norwegian physicist and meteorologist who founded the modern practice of weather forecasting. As a result of his accomplishments in those fields, he had two craters named after him. Today's question, simply tell us where either of those craters are located. And of course, if you're the first caller with the correct answer... You win tickets for two for fine dining at any of the Stratford University dining rooms in the Washington area. But first, you must give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you find yourself stuck in a crater in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. And of course, the international line, 877-936-39333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your calls. So, dial now. Okay, let's talk about the word of the week. <laughs> this is this the word that dangerous. I just learned. No. No, you just learned this I word? I just learned this word. Doxing. Doxing. Really? Doxing. I, I didn't really know what that means. Doxing, you know, like doxing is an Internet-based practice of researching and broadcasting the private or identifiable information or personal information about an individual. This last uh, week, there were two or three senators who their private phone numbers and addresses were identified, posted to the web, so they were doxed. Ah. See, that's doxing. It turns out that doxing comes from the abbreviation for documents, which is D-O-X. So it means that you're actually putting documents, docs, on the web. There you're being you go. Doxed, and so I didn't really know what that. I, I had, I had to. I had to look up because they said three senators have been doxed this week. I had to look up that word. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, fifteen hundred AM, one hundred three five FM HD two, and one hundred three nine FM HD two. On the web at Stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now let's talk about the streaming deal of the week. Okay. Now this is for students, but listen to this deal. You can get Spotify Premium, Hulu, and Showtime for $5 a month as a bundle. Wow. That's a deal. Mm-hmm. That's only for students, though. Now, um, you know, you basically, Spotify Premium is uh, is normally $10 a month, but you get it for $5 a month. And then it turns out that if you'd want to sign up for Hulu Limited Commercials, that costs $8 a month. And if you'd sign up for Showtime, that's normally $11 a month. So you're you're talking about something which is normally $28 a month. And they're giving it to you for five bucks. See, I told you there's academic discounts for everything. That there are discounts for now, now. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing this, Doc? It's because college students don't want to pay for anything. College students, <laughs> See? college students are on their parents' Netflix. They think everything online should be free. They think that it is well. They think that f- online streaming content is a right, which is listed in the Constitution. <laughs> You know, so they might actually be with the eleventh commandment. It's it, engraved it, in the that's tablet. That's right. So they think every you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of free, of free, of, stuff. Of free, of free streaming material. That's that's what they mm-hmm. feel. So the I. So what what Spotify is hoping is they'll get used to paying something, and then they can start charging a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So right. that's the idea. Okay. Okay, now let's talk about a problem that confronts many, many people with unusual names. (laughs) People who have an obscene name, and it's just one that they have, it's not really their fault, many times have trouble creating an account. For instance, Natalie Weiner. Natalie Weiner, she's a writer for SB Nation. She tried to set up an account. And they blocked her mm-hmm. because they said her name is an obscene name, Natalie Weiner. Weiner is a very common name. It's a very common name, but she could not set up a Facebook in account, fact, a Twitter account. So she actually had to go in, find a person to talk to, and then she had to verify that that was her real name, and then they would create the account. But it was a huge hassle. And she was quite, quite upset with that. So she talked about it on her blog. Mm-hmm. And then she got hundreds of comments because there are many people that have the same plight. Mm. For instance, Kyle Medic, M E D I C K. Well, you know, but that sounds like uh, when you look at it, you see how it's spelled. You I know, it. but, but they M E D I C K, call Medic. But when I hear the name Medic, I think of uh, somebody in the medical profession. I know. Right? It, well, it, that's it, crazy. I know, but they, they, you know, but they, they were blocking that because of the spelling. And poor James Butts. I mean, what what could James Butts do? I mean, he, that was his name, but uh-huh. he had to he had to log on. But he on. had to butt out of the internet. Uh, that's right. No, he he finally had to talk to a person and prove that James Butts was. And then we have Matt Cummings. I mean, he he could not C U M M I N G S. He mm-hmm. could not get an account. He had to go in and he's just that's quite another frustrated. Common name. That's right. And then we had Aaron D I K S H S H I T. Not even certain if I can say that last name. Aaron Dixit. Oh, there, I mean, there we go. We there we go. You know, it's, it's the guy's name. It's what are you going to do? It's Aaron. It, Aaron, it wasn't his fault. No. He was born with that Blame name. his parents. Blame his parents. And so he, he can't get an account. So here's the thing. And so it was, everything was stopped. And they, they uh-huh. had to go. In fact, Clark Icock was another guy. 
He he actually um, he actually is that his, a, isn't that an Apple Icock, product? A Y C O C K Clark Icock. So Clark Icock he at his work. They would not even create an email account for him because it, because it was blocked by all the porn. You, you're going to run servers. out and buy the iCock eight when That's we get off the, right. air at the Apple That's Store, right. right? Okay, so all of these sites they, they try to get algorithms set up that use automated methods to kind of block people that just make you know obscene names because but, you know you know kids will do that they'll just well, make up course. an obscene name you know it's kind of fun and so they, they Amanda block hug it. and kiss you That's know right. I mean. <laughs> And so the thing is, that is the, and so they automate it so that 99.9% of the accounts can be automatically created without a delay. Uh But that means the tenth of the people, or the hundredth percent of a people that are actually blocked because of pornography in their name, have to talk to a person. So they take care of the 99.9% and the tenth of a percent just just have to do it. You know, maybe what they ought to do is they ought to go to the DMV and get them as consultants because they have to go through the, uh, you know, the personalized license plates and That's make right. sure that they're not um, obscene. That's right. It's the same kind of deal. So I'm offering this discussion simply to know that we co- we commiserate with you. We can feel we can feel your pain. I think you need to start a support group. We can feel your pain. A support group for pornographic names. I know that would be an excellent I, idea. I know somebody named Wiener, and she has. I'll have to ask her if she had any trouble setting up her. Um, setting uh, up, yeah. Her, ask her about she's that. She's got a Twitter page. I mean, even you know why I started thinking about this was because even the profile in IT, Ira. Fuchs. Yes. I'm thinking he would have trouble even getting get, even getting an account for himself. I think he would. And you know what? I was telling you before the show that I have uh, re- relatives on my mother's side that have the same the name spelled the same way. They pronounce it Fuchs. But you would be surprised. I can imagine. How many people would mess that up? I know. Yeah. Now, Japan is testing a mini a space elevator. But I have music for that, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, of course... We've talked about the space elevator before. This is really uh, this is really an idea that that dates back many 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 years. Uh, it was actually first proposed in 1895 by Russian scientist Konstantin Tsiolkovsky. That long ago. Yeah, after he saw the Eiffel Tower in Paris. It was later, later revisited a century later by Arthur C. Clarke. Now the idea of the space elevator is that you take and tether a satellite to a to a wire that's connected to the equator of the Earth, mm-hmm. and the wire goes out, you know, to ge- geosynchronous orbit, you know, twenty, you know, twenty two, twenty two thousand miles out, and as the Earth spins around, and you've got this weight at the end of the wire through tr- centrifugal force, the wire is held up, and then you simply put. A cabin on the wire, and you just go up and down the wire, and you got a space elevator. It takes you all the way to outer space, and it's held up by centrifugal force. Now, this was the idea. It was sort of a fantastic idea, but the problem is, <laughs> it's a lot of wire. Pro- no, the, well, the problem is that we don't have wires that are that are strong enough because because the weight of the cable is so great. Compared to the, and then you've got the force of the satellite pulling it out, that just the weight of the cable, there was nothing that was strong enough that could actually that could actually handle this. And so we had to wait for the development of new cable technology, and they believe that we're going to have some new cable technology called carbon nanotube technology. Carbon nanotubes are very extremely strong. They're 20 times stronger than steel. And it's possible to, to it's possible then to build a shaft that goes all sixty thousand miles above the Earth. That's wow. what that's what they're shooting for, and and they think with with twenty five more more uh, twenty five times stronger than steel, and it's also very light that they may be able to do it. So that's what they're working on. But they're trying to get a proof of principle. So because you've got to start small. So what they're doing, Japan is starting small. They, they, they want to see, they want to test the space elevator transport system. So they're setting up two satellites. One satellite is further out than the other one, and they connect between. They connect the two with a cable, which is uh, ten meters long. And they've got a little uh, a little box that travels along the cable from one from one satellite to the other one. So they're creating a space elevator that is 10 meters long. So this is like a very small ap- application. 
but they're testing the transport it's like method. A space step stool. It's a space, and the and the little box that they're transporting is only six centimeters. It's two point four inches on a side, so it's certainly not big enough to to go in. So this is a very, I'd say this is a mini step, a micro mm-hmm. step, and they believe that they can actually feel the space elevator by twenty fifty. Really? Yeah. And what are they waiting on? The nan- waiting? the nanotube cable. Mm-hmm. The carbon nanotube. So cable. how do you keep things from running into it, like jets? And well, that's the second problem, <laughs> because that is that is a secondary problem. Because then you know, of course, if a jet you're going up there and a jet breaks your carbon nanotube cable, you just fall to the earth. Well, I'm more worried about the jet shearing off a wing and falling back to earth. That's what I'm, you know. Yeah, I, because it, frankly, that I mean, is that is a problem. Is, the, is now would the cable be there even if there's nothing on it? Yeah, the, the cable, the just, cable, the, it, the, the cable fixed. goes from it's, the equator up to the satellite, and it stays there. It just stays there, motionless, and and it's and the the satellite is geo, it's orbiting in a geosynchronous orbit, so the cable just is is going up vertically, and it just mm-hmm. stays there. And you can run stuff up and down it, and you can run stuff up and down it. But, but there it, has to be the satellite on the other end. There has to be a weight on the other mm-hmm. end. Yeah, there's a weight on the other end because it's holding it up by geosynchronous orbit, and it. But it would, but you. It's such a long distance. It probably takes three days to get into outer space because you're, wow. you're going fairly slow. Mm-hmm. So you you get on the little elevator. It's probably like a little hotel. You get up there and you just you know you sit there in the bar for three days. You know you you and you and you've you got a nice view of the and then you go on up, and then you're down. Now these guys are planning to make a a tourist attraction where people can take the space well, elevator up. They can they can stay course. up there night and they come back down. That that's the idea. Top of the world. That's that's the idea, but but you're going to have to make the space elevator area a no-fly zone. I mean, it's going it, to they're going to have to illuminate it or something, and then there's going to be all this furor over this big lighted thing. That's that's yeah. right. That is. The I mean, truth. I mean, how? It's the only way you're going to be able to see it is to have lights and stuff. That's on right. It. Now, why is this space elevator idea important? It, because it reduces the cost of taking product into space, and so that enables us to actually send uh, to send rocket ships to other planets at a relatively low cost because it's the, it's the launch cost it's mm-hmm. the es- getting through the escape velocity that's the expensive part of the deal so you can basically transport up to essentially an international space station and you don't have to launch up so it's a very very low cost to get into space so there's huge potential there but a great technological challenge Okay, now the question is, should you buy or upgrade to an Apple Watch Series 4? I mean, I know a lot of people that have Apple Watch Series 3, and then the 4 came out, and they said, oh, here I am behind the scenes. Should I upgrade or not? Well, let's look at what the Series 4 has. It's got a little bigger design. It's got a slightly larger screen. It has more biometric sensors than, than ever on it, and it's got some real health benefits because it can track more things of, your, of, uh, of more biological items. Now, like the previous model, the Series 4 comes in two sizes, the 40-millimeter, the, 40 millimeter, the 44 millimeter, and it's slightly larger than the previous ones, which were 38 and 42. It also features a heart rate sensor which cap- and is capable of generating an electrocardiogram. The improved heart rate sensor can also detect irregular heart rhythm and abnormally high or low heart rates. It also features something that's pretty nice, a fall detector. And, and if... If you fall down, it will automatically notify. It'll say it has an emergency notification, and it will automatically generate a notification. It will send it to your friend. It will send it to the police. Whatever you have, the GPS only model is three ninety nine, up from the past models of three twenty nine. The LTE, that's the one a cell phone connection, is at four ninety nine. That's up from three ninety nine. Now the Series three, and I've got a lot of friends that have a Series three. It's a fantastic watch. You've already have one then you've really got a great smart watch. The biggest benefit of moving to the 4 is just the improved heart rate tracking. So I don't think upgrading is worth the money. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got like a Series 1 or 2, I th- upgrading may be worth it. See, I don't need all this stuff. Now, I, I, I just want my analog watch. Now, here's the but good news me. for people that haven't bought a watch yet. The Series 3 is now cheaper. So you can now get a Series 3 GPS for 279 or one with uh, with LTE with cell phone connectivity for 379. So, you know, the, the the older model is now cheaper. So, if you got an older watch, older Apple Watch is probably worth upgrading otherwise don't bother. I I'd, I'd have to agree. I I'm really I'm really I don't think I would use any of those things on the the Apple Watch. 
But I, yeah. but, but if, um, yeah. if if enough of my friends get them, I, I, I may, I may succumb. I'm, I may I'm succumb. actually kind of surprised because you're such a gadget guy that you don't have one just to play with. I haven't. I've just never worn a watch for years. Ever? When no. was the last time you wore a watch? I mean, probably in high school. I just don't wear a watch. Time doesn't seem to matter. No, time just doesn't move. <laughs> now, here's here's the idea of the week, and I love this idea. Teach coding like a foreign language. Because actually, computer code is like a language. It has syntax or rules and all. You can teach it like a foreign language. Captain Mike Cannon, he had a great idea. He, he works for the service, and, and it turns out that now we need more military men who know how to code. And he had this he had this epiphany moment. He said, wait a minute here. Computer languages are like languages. And it turns out the military is extremely effective at teaching languages. They teach foreign languages to, to, to their troops. They can test for language aptitude capacity. They've got accelerated language schools where people can learn foreign languages quickly. So he says, why don't we take our foreign language technology and apply it to computer coding? That was just a fantastic idea. I mean, the Air Force already measures linguistic aptitude with tests, to determine airman's existing fluency, his or her capability to learn another language. So they could do the same kind of tests for computer programming, and they could, they could then teach uh, computer programs like Python, Java, C++, which all have their own unique vocabulary, their own set of grammatical and construct rules, just like any other language. So they use their language teaching methodology to teach computer languages. That is a great idea. I love that idea. In fact... It reminded me when I went to, when I was getting my PhD many years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, PhD you have to have a foreign language, and so I was at Catholic. I didn't know that. Yeah, that if, if you if you get an applied doctorate in a foreign language, you get a PhD. You have to have a foreign language, and I'd taken German as an undergraduate, and uh, so the, my, the natural choice would be to use German as my foreign language. But I just didn't want to go through all that rigmarole of you know boning up on German. Mm-hmm. So I went to the catalog at Catholic U. And I studied, they said, you have to have a foreign language. And so I, I decided that Fortran was a language. So I, I, went, to the, <laughs> so I went to the department head, and, and, I, and I said, well, I've selected my foreign language. And he said, okay, very good. I said, it's going to be Fortran. And He, he said, looked at you like you had two heads. He said, you can't do that. I said, <laughs> I said, wait a minute here. I looked at the catalog. The catalog said, this is the definition of a language. I looked at the definition of computer, and I said, look, this meets the requirements in the catalog. Mm-hmm. So they went back, they did all their linguistic analysis, and they concluded that, in fact, Fortran qualified as a foreign language. No kidding. And so I, I used Fortran for my Ph.D. at Catholic University. You are one smart cookie. And, uh, and then after I got my Ph.D., they changed the catalog, and they explicitly excluded... Computer, computer language. languages from the language requirement, <laughs> and of so, course, this was a snap for you because you already you, you already knew this, right? Yeah, I already knew Fortran, so it was smart. I don't know. And you, and I you just, know shortcuts. I just really enjoyed. That's, that's I just, a great story. I just enjoyed doing that, and I, I actually think they didn't mind it because they thought it was kind of a clever fix. And I could have done German, but I, I just didn't feel like it. Well, you know what? It was going to get you where you wanted to go. That's right. That's all we have time for this week. Please join us next week for more Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. Learn more about the programs offered at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher 
And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.